Well, I was drug along to a business dinner of sorts with my parents to a, a Chinese buffet, and I did not like uh, Chinese food at the time, which was fantastic. And my, uh, my mom said, get whatever you want, but eat whatever you take. And I went up to the buffet line, and I looked it over. I'm like, no. Uh, and it's one of those times you like walk around two or three times thinking maybe something's going to change in the, in the time, but that didn't occur. And then I saw it, and I saw the cookie station. And so I filled up my plate with eight cookies, took them back to the table, and started to eat. And my parents were still getting their food, and they came over and looked at my plate. My mom's like, what's that? And I said, you said take whatever I want, but eat whatever I take. And I looked over the buffet, and this is what I want. And she said, you can't eat a meal of dessert. And I said, why not? And she said, that's not how it works. You have to save dessert till the end. I said, it's the best part. And she said, well, then save the best for last, ripping off of a uh, Vanessa Williams song at the time. Some of you don't even know who that is. Others of you are like, I love that song. It's great. But it, it just got me to thinking uh, about that as, as we're going to talk today about the ending part of the first week of creation as we've started our look at the beginning. So if you have your phones or your tablets, if you if you join us in the Bible app, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn to Genesis chapter 1. Again, it's the very first book in the Bible. So right after the table of contents, you'll find Genesis. And we're at the tail end of the first chapter here. We're going to start in Genesis 1, in just a minute. But today we're going to be looking at the end being the best part. We're going to talk about the end being the best part. And this is something that we see throughout life. If, if you know, I mean, dessert oftentimes is the best part of the meal. Some people be like, no, it's not. But it really is. I mean, dessert's the best part of the meal. You can have a great dinner, and if you have a subpar dessert, it ruins how great dinner was. It's, it's so vital to save the best for last. I think one of the reasons that the all-time greatest uh, film franchise, and I'll fight anybody about this, is the Christopher Nolan Batman series. Uh, Batman Begins, The Dark Knight, and The Dark Knight Rises. But one of the reasons The Dark Knight Rises isn't held in the same regard as The Dark Knight is because nobody at the end of the Batman movie wants to see Batman sitting in a European cafe with Catwoman peacefully retired. It's not what anybody wants to see Batman. We want to see the bat signal in the sky, and we want to see Batman off to solve another crime. And if you haven't seen the movies, it's been nine years, so I don't feel bad about the spoiler alert right there. But the reality is the end, the end is got to be, it's got to be the best part. You've got to save the best for last. And we see that in creation and what God did. So if you're just joining us, thanks so much for joining us at Lakeside, whether it's here in person or whether it's on the stream. We want to serve you. We want to help you in your spiritual journey. And we just want to thank you for, for enabling us to, to do that. So thank you for joining us. And a couple weeks ago, we started at the beginning, and we saw that God is eternal. But this earth and humanity hasn't always been here. And God, before he created anything, already developed a plan for our redemption. It's a, it's a fascinating look. So if you missed our look at that from a couple weeks ago, you can find that at lakeside-church.com slash media. There's our, an archive of all of our all of our messages you can find right on that page, and I'd encourage you to go check that out. And then last week, we saw God at work in creation, and we looked through the first five and a half days, and then we kind of paused midday six, where we saw that God created the light, God created the land, 
God created all, all of these things. He, he created the sun and the, the moon and the stars. We looked at all the work that God had done in his creation, all the animals, and that's where we paused. And now we're going to pick up the account that Genesis 1 provides us of creation. Again, in Genesis 1, verse 26 this morning, where we read these words, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Again, this is a continuation of day six, right after God has created the animals earlier on day six, all the land animals. Uh, God created the birds and the fish on day five, but on day six, God creates all the land animals, all the cattle, all the reptiles, everything along those lines. And, that, and then we pause, and then we get to this part at the end part of day six. God said, let us Make man in our image after our likeness. And again, we've talked about this earlier um, back a couple weeks ago, but I just want to pause here again and just, just talk for just a brief moment about a very difficult concept and yet a foundational concept about God. And that's, again, that God is a triune being. And what that means is God is one singular Godhead, but within the Godhead there are three distinct persons. So there is God the Father, He is God, God the Son, Jesus, He is God, and God the Holy Spirit, He is God. But God the Father is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not Jesus, and Jesus is not the Father. They are three distinct persons operating as one God. So there is one God in three distinct persons. It's, it's a belief, it's a philosophy, it's a doctrine called the Trinity, and it's foundational to our understanding of who God is and how he operates. And we see this communicated to us all the way back in the very first chapter of Scripture, in Genesis chapter 1, where God is talking about himself in the plural here. Let us, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, existed eternally before he was born to the Virgin Mary, which we celebrate at Christmas time, before Jesus was born to the Virgin Mary. And I know this can be a difficult concept to try to wrap your head around and try to fully understand how did God, how did God in the Son, Jesus, always, always exist, and yet he was born to the Virgin Mary as a baby. How does that work? And we just say, hey, it's God. And if you can fully understand God, then your picture of God isn't big enough. If you've got the understanding of God on your level and every aspect of God you can, you can fully explain, then your picture of God simply is not big enough because it confounds all of us. It confounds our minds, but we just know that from what God has revealed to us and the truth that he's communicated to us, that this is how God has chosen to operate. And so God the Father is present at creation. God the Son, Jesus, is present at creation. God the Holy Spirit is present at creation. And God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Which means all of humanity. All of humanity is made in God's image. Psalm 8.5, a Psalm 8.5, it says this, that that God crowned humanity with dignity and honor. That out of all creation, God crowned humanity with dignity and honor. Which means all the more reason that we as people who follow God, we as people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ, we need to respond by making sure that we honor and dignify all human life. Because every human being is made in the image and likeness of our Creator. Every human is made in the image and likeness of God. And as people who follow God, all the more reason that we are compelled to honor and dignify 
all human life. Which means this principle and these verses, these must shape our viewpoints on issues. These must shape our viewpoints on abortion. These must shape our viewpoints on immigration. This must shape our viewpoints on elder care. This must shape our viewpoints on how we deal with those with disabilities and developmental delays. Recognizing that every single person, all of humanity, all of humanity is made in the image and likeness of our Creator. And as people who primarily follow Jesus, and that is our allegiance, we need to make sure that every viewpoint we have on issues is is clearly determined by this foundational understanding that every single person has value and has worth because they are made in the image of God. And we see all kinds of displays uh, in our society where people devalue the value of humanity, where people want to devalue and dismiss the idea that every single person is made in God's image. And we as people who follow God and have a relationship with Jesus, we need to be on the front lines and we need to say, no, 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 you're missing it. Every single person Every single child, every single immigrant, every single widow or elder, every single person, no matter the disability, no matter the developmental delay that they may have, every single person, meaning everyone, is made in God's image. And we are going to advocate for everybody. We are going to love people. We're going to serve people. And we are going to set the tone and see the value that every single person has to their creator. Because we value the fact that everyone is made in the image of God. And it's not enough just to believe that. It's not enough just to believe that, especially in a society that wants to devalue life, especially in a society that wants to devalue certain people or certain elements of humanity. We... We, we must not only hold to that, but we must advocate and we must communicate that in all circumstances, that everyone is made in the image of our Creator, in the image of God. Verse uh, 26 goes on to say, And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God makes humanity in His image, And then he says, let humanity be in charge of creation. Humanity is in charge of creation, having dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is is a mandate that we have, that humanity is in charge of God's creation. We have a biblical mandate. We have a biblical mandate to manage animals. I've read some of the articles of, of people whose houses are become infested with bees, and they're like, we can't hurt the bees. Like, my biblical mandate's to kill some bees. I'm sorry. I've got to have dominion over the bees that invade my house. I'm going after the bees. Some of you are like, but they make honey. Great. They can make honey on your property. My call is to have dominion over them in my area. If you want to have rats running all over your house, that's cool. That's your prerogative. Not so. If I see a little bit of evidence of a rat, we're putting out traps. I don't 
don't feel bad about it. Some of you are like, those poor little rodents. Like, we're just wired a little bit differently. But the reality is, God has called us to have dominion over his creation. We're to have dominion over the animals. And we also have dominion over the environment. We're to have dominion over the environment. So in one verse, in one verse, we're, we're not only communicated the fact that every single one of us needs to value all human life, and that shapes our viewpoints on abortion and immigration and elder care and treating and dealing with people with disabilities and developmental delays, but we go on to see that it's okay to hunt, it's okay to fish. Some of you are wrestling with attention right now. But let me throw something else in there. And we're also in that same verse told we have to be good stewards of our environment. That we have to take care of what God's created. That that's our responsibility. That we shouldn't go out of our way just to pollute. That we need to make sure that we're doing what we can to make sure that we have a clean environment. And here's the problem with all of this. Here's the problem with all of this. All of this, is these are great ideas. These are great ideas. On the surface, who could possibly, who could possibly argue with wanting to see all humanity as being made in the image of God? Who could possibly argue with humanity having dominion over animals and over the environment. At face value, this is easy and this is simple, but here's what happens. These good ideas, they become hijacked. And they become hijacked by political ideologies. Because what, what, what is the job of politicians? To get votes and stay in power. And so this side's going to latch on to this side of the aspects of this. And this side's going to latch on to these aspects of this. And there's going to be a war that's being waged. Because this side says, no, you're wrong. And this side says, no, you're wrong. And what we have to do is just drown out all the noise. And we have to go back to Scripture, which is our foundation. And we need to understand that in one verse, in one verse, God has called us to value human life. In one verse, God has called us to see all humanity is made in the image, in the likeness of our Creator. In one verse, we are told that we are to have dominion over the animals. And in one verse, we are told that we are to be responsible for the planet on which we live. In one verse. And if we're not careful... What we can do is we can start to see segments and, and slices of this. And we can champion those because it goes along with our political ideology. But we can lose other aspects of this. Because we see some people take this to places that are just insane. We just shake our heads and say, well, they've corrupted it. And rather than just see that they've corrupted it, we can dismiss it entirely. And that's not what God has called us to do. That God has made us in his image and he has given us dominion over the animals and over the environment. And that is what we will be held account for and that is what we will have to respond to God. It's how we value all life, how we manage the animals and how we manage our planet. 
These ideas are not mutually exclusive. They are all formed in this one verse, and they're all our responsibility. And then Genesis 1 goes on. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And now we get to another point that God very clearly establishes for us. The scripture is clear. There are two genders. That we are all made in the human that all of humanity is made in the image and the likeness of God. And what does verse 27 tell us? So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And we look at our society right now. And this idea of saying that there are two genders is offensive to a lot of people. And a lot of people bristle at this notion, and they reject it. And yet, what Scripture tells us very clearly is, according to Scripture, which is our guide, there are two genders. Why does this matter? Why is this important? Why should we care? The reason that this matters and the reason that this is important is because it ties back to the fact that we are made in God's image. That we are made in God's image. And that includes our gender. And yet, with the confusion that we have all around us, I just want to encourage us to make sure that we are people who are offering compassion, and we are offering compassionate responses to a world that would reject this notion, to a world that would disagree with this, to a world that would accuse this viewpoint of being hostile, to a world that would say, well, that's, hate. that's hateful of you. It's hateful of you to say that. It's hateful for you to arrive at the point that somebody is made in the image of God and they can't choose to be whatever they want to be. But what we're told very clearly here from Scripture, from Genesis 1.27, is that all of humanity is made in the image and likeness of God are God, and he created them male and female. And whether you like that or not, if Scripture is the foundation for your worldview and your hope is placed in a relationship with Jesus and you follow God, you don't have to like everything that God designs. You don't have to like everything that God says, but your responsibility is to follow it. But let's make sure that we as people who follow Jesus understand that people who don't have a relationship with Jesus really don't have the incentive or the understanding to follow God. And so it's not going to be like if we approach somebody who doesn't have a relationship with Jesus and doesn't, and doesn't have any interest in following God, if we approach them and say, well, God made two genders and that's why, that that's going to be enough for that person. I'm not saying you back down from the truth. I'm not encouraging that whatsoever. But what I am saying is deliver that message in love and with compassion and understanding that if somebody finds themselves at a place where they're wrestling with this, that's not an easy road for them. And again, in no way am I encouraging you. In no way am I encouraging you to water down or shy away from the truth. And yet, what I am encouraging you to do is what Scripture commands us to do, to speak the truth in love. 
Speak the truth in love. Not as a, not as a way to win an argument, not as a way to be combative. See the individual first as an individual. What does that require of us? It requires us to remember that even in the midst of their confusion, they are made in the image and likeness of God. There is worth and there is value there. Immense worth and immense value. And that their value is not tied just in what they're struggling with. I want to challenge you to see them as God sees them. And with a heart of love and a response of compassion. And if they're willing, have a dialogue and discuss this. And if they're not, don't try to force it. But make sure that our response is one of compassion and love. And God blessed them, Genesis 1.28 says. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So what does God say after he makes humanity? He says, be fruitful. And again, this is a blessing. This is a blessing. God blesses us with these words. It is a blessing to accomplish things. It is a, bless, it is a blessing to make a difference in life. It's not a curse. Some of you wake up every day feeling like, oh, work is the worst thing ever. But work was never designed to be that way. Now, there are aspects of your work that are going to be more difficult as a result of sin coming into the world and messing everything up. But work in and of itself is not a curse. It's actually a blessing that God has given us. And so I really want to encourage you, especially if you're young, find something that you are passionate about. Find something that excites you. Find something that you can wake up and go enjoy doing. Tap into your passions and your natural abilities and go figure out how you can turn that into a trade. Go figure out how you can go make money, how that can be an effective tool for you in your life. But life was never meant for you to wake up every day hating what you have to go spend your day doing. And my hope and my prayer for those of you, especially as you're young and as you're entering the workforce, is that you would find something that brings you joy and fulfillment and excitement This is part of God's blessing to us, that we would go out and we would achieve and we would build. Remember, we're created in the image of our God. And what's the image of our God? The image of our God is a creator. We serve a creator. So go create things. Go be excited. Go be passionate. Don't live your life waking up hating what you have to go do. Find what brings you joy and realize that it's a blessing. It's a blessing that God has, he has blessed humanity with the ability to do that. Be fruitful. 
That's the first part of the blessing. The second part is to multiply. To multiply. That, that humanity, which was created by God, would procreate. This is part of God's blessing. This is part of God's blessing. That humanity would procreate. And again, what we see here is that we would subdue. We would subdue. We would rule the earth. We would rule the earth. And again, we're told to have dominion. Have dominion. So the humanity and God's blessing would be fruitful. So we would go out and we would build things and we would achieve things and we would make a difference. And all of that is part of God's blessing. That we would multiply. That we would procreate. That's part of God's blessing. And that we would have a lasting impact on the world in which we were created to live. That we would have dominion and we would subdue. That we would take care of our planet. We would, we would take care of animals. That's, that's what God's called us to do. And it's a blessing. It's a blessing. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth, and every tree with its seed and its fruit. You shall have them for food, and to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And the picture we see here as we come to the conclusion of day six, the picture we see here is God has provided enough. God's provided enough. And there is peace. There's incredible peace. Now, sin is yet to come into the world, and we're going to look at that a few weeks from now, that sin is yet to come into the world and mess everything up. But here in God's creation, God looks at what he's done, and the picture we see is God has provided enough that there is fulfillment. God has blessed them. He said, go to work. Go achieve things. Go build things. Go do things. Go procreate. Subdue the earth and have dominion over it. The picture we see here is everybody's a vegetarian and there is peace in what God has created. There's peace in what God has created. God says, I've got your food taken care of. Look at all the plants. Look at all the trees. Look at everything that I've created. You have enough. Go discover the joy of this world that I've made. Go take in with awe and wonder what I've done. Go make a difference. Go build things. Go enjoy life. And God saw everything he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. God looks and he sees the six days of creation, and he says, it is good. It is good. Now we get to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. God looks at everything at the end of day 6. He says, it's good. It's good. 
The earth is good. Humanity is good. Everything is good. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And now we get to the seventh day and God rests. Again, why does an eternal, all-powerful God rest? Was he exhausted? Did he need a, did he need a nap? Why does God rest? Again, God's resting is not out of need, but a picture, a picture to his creation of the rhythm which which he has designed. There is now one day, after six days of creation, there is now one day where there is focus between God and creation. The God rests. He says, everything is good. I'm done. And God rests. And now we get to the seventh day, and it's a day of focus between God and that which he has created. Creation. Again, this idea that there needs to be a rhythm of rest and a rhythm of focus. And we talked about the rhythm and and the division last week that we see throughout creation. And here we see it on its most grand display. And some of you are exhausted in your life because you view rest as laziness. And that's not the picture that Scripture gives us. Rest is not laziness. It doesn't matter what your parents beat into your head over and over and over again. It doesn't matter what your boss tells you. Rest is not laziness. Rest is foundational to us from the Creator who created us in His image and in His likeness. And some of you are running on adrenaline because you never take time to experience the rhythm of rest. And there are a number of reasons for that. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we're just too busy. Sometimes we convince ourselves that we just can't afford it. Chick-fil-A is now the third largest restaurant chain in the United States. And business analysts suggest that it loses more than $1.2 billion in annual revenue as a result of their refusal to open on Sundays. Now, Chick-fil-A has taken a very disciplined stand since the beginning of the company. And it has said, we will be closed on Sundays. And if you've ever been driving on a road trip on Sundays, you know how disappointing it is because you've forgotten it's Sundays and you see on the exit sign Chick-fil-A and you're like, for some reason, we don't know why, Chick-fil-A has not brought the chicken straight from heaven to Green Bay yet. Because if you've ever had Chick-fil-A, you know it is a taste of heaven. And I don't know how they do it, but they do. Best chicken sandwich you will find. I don't care what Popeye's thinks. Mm -mm. It's Chick-fil-A. It's still Chick-fil-A. And so you're driving along, you're like, oh, oh, yeah, it's closed on Sundays, and today's Sunday. Closing our business on Sundays, the Lord's Day, is our way of honoring God and showing our loyalty to Him. Chick-fil-A's founder, Truett Cathy, wrote in his book, Eat More Chicken, Inspire More People. 
My brother Ben and I closed our first restaurant on the first Sunday after we opened in 1946. And my children have committed to closing our restaurants on Sundays long after I'm gone. I believe God honors our decision and sets before us unexpected opportunities to do greater work for him because of our loyalty. In 2000, Kathy's children, including Dan Kathy, now the chain's CEO, pledged to uphold the company's commitment to closing on Sundays and to never take it public. While Kathy's original reasoning was based on his Christian faith, closing on Sundays is also a brilliant business decision, experts say. It cements Chick-fil-A's reputation, benefits workers, and persuades customers to come back with a greater sense of urgency. They don't shy away from being family-focused, and they don't shy away from being mission-driven. Adam Chandler, who wrote Drive Through Dreams, A Journey Through the Heart of America's Fast Food Kingdom, told Business Insider, if there's one thing that everyone knows about Chick-fil-A, it is that they're closed on Sunday. John Hamburger, which is just a great last name, the president of Franchise Times, described Chick-fil-A's decision to close on Sundays as a counterintuitive sales booster. Being open six days a week provides benefits to both the operators and the customers, Hamburger said. The owner-operator gets the time off, closed on Sunday, convinces a sense of caring and community to the customers. If the third biggest restaurant chain in America has figured out that they can not only survive, but thrive, even with the analysts saying, but you lose $1.2 billion in annual sales. If they can still, losing what analysts project, rise to be the third largest chain in the United States, being committed to this idea of Sabbath rest, Convince me again how you're different. Convince me again why it won't work for you. While your life is void of joy. And you run around exhausted all the time. And your marriage is taking a hit. And your kids, they just desperately want some time with you. But they don't have the quality time that they want with you because you're always too busy. Remind me again why the rhythm that we see of rest from God, our creator, who created us in his image, how we see on display by the third largest chain in the United States, how it works for our creator and it works for Chick-fil-A, but it doesn't work for you. What I'm going to tell you is you're delusional. We are created in God's image. And we see throughout creation the rhythms and the division that God has made. And rest does not make you weak, and it does not make you lazy. but it offers you an opportunity to recharge and remember the creator who created you in his image and the blessing that he has made and given all of humanity 
that we are to be fruitful, that we are to achieve and accomplish things, that we are to multiply, we're to procreate, and we are to subdue and have dominion over this world, that we are to enjoy this world in all of its beauty, and we are to take care of it, because that's what God has called us to do. And it's not an obligation, but it's a blessing. And I hope we'll see it that way as we live our lives. God, help us see life as a gift. Help us live in the way that you've called us to live. And Lord, so many people around us in our society devalue humanity whether it's the issue of the unborn or whether the issue of immigration or whether the issue of elder care or whether the issue of individuals with disabilities or who are developmentally delayed. And I pray, God, we, as people who love and follow you, we would set the tone, not only in our response, but in what we say that we value life, all life. God, that as we live in a culture and a society that increasingly rejects the truth that you've presented to us, that we would not shy away from your truth. And yet, God, to those who are struggling with their gender, that we would just Respond to them in love and compassion. God, that we would not walk through life begrudging what we have to do. But remembering you have blessed us with an opportunity to be creators. To make a difference. God, that we would rest enjoying this world, enjoying our lives, and enjoying you, our creator. Thank you for life and the gift of each new day. And I pray we would make a difference with the days you've given us. In your son, Jesus' name we pray.